Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to our Kiva Q3 2021 conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the conference, please press star zero on your touch telephone. I would like to turn the conference over to your host, Mr. Mike Cross. Please go ahead, sir. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us for Workiva's third quarter 2021 conference call. Today's call has been pre-recorded and will include comments from our Chief Executive Officer, Marty Vanderplow, followed by our Chief Financial Officer, Jill Clint. We'll then open the call up for a live Q&A session. Julie Isco, our Chief Operating Officer, is also on the call. A replay of this webcast will be available until November 10th, 2021. Information to access the replay is listed in today's press release, which is available on our website under the Investor Relations section. Before we begin, I would like to remind everyone that during today's call, we will be making forward-looking statements regarding future events and financial performance, including guidance for the fourth quarter and full fiscal year 2021, and preliminary guidance for the full fiscal year 2022. These forward-looking statements are subject to known and unknown risks and uncertainties. Workiva cautions that these statements are not guarantees of future performance. All forward-looking statements made today reflect our current expectations only, and we undertake no obligation to update any statement to reflect the events that occur after this call. Please refer to the company's annual report on Form 10-K and subsequent filings for factors that could cause our actual results to differ materially from any forward-looking statements. Also, during the course of today's call, we will refer to certain non-GAAP financial measures. Reconciliations of non-GAAP to GAAP measures and certain additional information are also included in today's press release. With that, we will begin by turning the call over to our CEO, Marty Vanderplow. Hello, and thank you for joining today's call. The Workiva team delivered another strong quarter, beating third quarter guidance for revenue and operating results. We achieved 30% organic growth in subscription and support revenue, and approximately 28% in total revenue. As a result, we are raising our full year guidance. Jill will provide further details about our financial results and future outlook. We continue to build on our market leadership and the increased demand for transparent reporting, including financial and ESG reporting solutions that drive digital transformations. We target being a low to mid 20% growth company. In Q3, as in the past several quarters, we have benefited from the strong IPO market, the increase in the number of new public companies and enhanced compliance and reporting requirements. During the quarter, we saw strong bookings in capital markets, SEC, ESG, and ESEF. Cap markets, ESG, and ESEF are three markets which we believe have high growth potential. We'll talk more about these fit-for-purpose solutions, our expanding TAM, and our outlook for growth during our virtual investor day on November 18th. Our differentiated technology and extraordinary talent are clearly making an impact on our customers. During the quarter, we grew our global customer base to 4,146, adding 197 net new customers. We retained our existing customers, increasing our SNS revenue retention rate to 96.5%. 
and our enhanced ability to cross-sell multiple solutions helped increase the number of customers with ACB over $100,000 and $150,000. We are pleased with the investment that our partners continue to make in growing their Workiva practices. During the quarter, we had a number of large partner-related wins. Some examples include a Big Four advisory firm expanded a major healthcare company's use of our platform to include our ESG solution. The advisory firm had previously implemented insurance statutory reporting for this company. Our APAC team, in partnership with a Big Four advisory firm, signed its largest single opportunity with a global financial services group. The customer purchased our connected annual and interim financial reporting and tax reporting solutions. Another key partner-related win was with a large building society in Europe. The customer invested in the Workiva platform, purchasing our ESEF, financial reporting, and banking solutions. Our partners also played an important role at our 2021 Workiva Amplify Conference, where they collectively hosted 33 of the 70 sessions. This year's virtual conference held in September was our largest yet. We welcomed 10,000 attendees from 3,700 companies across 108 countries. Next year's conference will be both virtual and in person. Please mark your calendars to join us September 12 through 15, 2022 in Las Vegas. Workiva was recently named a leader among governance, risk, and compliance platforms by Forrester Research. Our platform received the highest scores in 12 criteria, including audit management, data integration, vision, and planned enhancements. We believe this placement validates our position as the global leader in the market to simplify GRC's most significant challenges and deliver a greater return on investment for our customers. Looking ahead to 2022, we believe now is the right time to strategically invest in our business in order to deliver consistent 20-plus percent growth. Outside of SEC, we believe penetration of our TAM is still early in all solution areas. Therefore, we intend to invest to accelerate global growth, advance our product roadmap, and increase demand generation. Jill will further discuss the details of our 2022 preliminary guidance. In closing, we delivered a strong third quarter driven by the focused execution of our strategy. We continue to grow the business by attracting and retaining top talent, investing in the innovation of our platform and solutions, and consistently delivering an outstanding customer experience. It continues to be an exciting time for Workiva. We believe we are well positioned and have the right strategy in place to capitalize on the increasing opportunities to power transparent reporting for a better world. With that, I will now turn the call over to Jill. Thank you, Marty, and good afternoon, everyone. We continued to feed broad-based demand for our solutions in Q3 with strong revenue performance across our solution portfolio. As Marty mentioned, we are raising guidance for full year 2021 revenue and operating results, which I will discuss later. I will talk about our results and guidance on a non-GAAP basis. Refer to our press release for a reconciliation of our non-GAAP and GAAP results and guidance. 
we beat Q3 2021 revenue guidance at the midpoint by $4.2 million. Higher subscription revenue accounted for the majority of the beat. We beat guidance on Q3 operating results at the midpoint by $10 million. The revenue beat mentioned above, coupled with lower T&E expense, makes up the majority of the beat on operating income. Turning to Q3 2021 results versus Q3 the year before. We generated total revenue in the third quarter of $112.7 million, showing growth of 27.9% from Q3 2020. Breaking out revenue by reporting line item. Subscription and support revenue was $98.9 million, up 30.4% from Q3 2020. New logos and new solutions helped drive strong revenue growth in Q3 2021. 69% of the increase in SNS revenue in Q3 came from new customers added in the last 12 months. Higher capital markets revenue was also a factor. Professional services revenue was $13.8 million in Q3 2021, up 12.5% from the same quarter last year. This was largely due to higher XBRL services revenue. Turning to our supplemental metrics. We finished Q3 with 4,146 customers, a net growth of 563 customers from Q3 2020 and a net growth of 197 customers from Q2 2021. Our revenue retention rates improved. Our subscription and support revenue retention rate was 96.5% for the third quarter of 2021, an increase compared to 94.9% for the same period last year. With add-on, our subscription and support revenue retention rate improved to 111.1% for the third quarter of 2021, compared to 110% in Q3 2020. The strength of this metric is having a positive impact on our revenue. The number of larger subscription contracts continues to show impressive growth. In the third quarter of 2021, we had 1,043 contracts valued at over $100,000 per year, up 33% from Q3 the prior year. The number of contracts valued at over $150,000 per year totaled 541 customers in the third quarter up 41% from Q3 2020. Moving down the P&L, gross profit totaled $87.4 million in Q3, up 30.7% from the same quarter a year ago. Consolidated gross margin was 77.6% in the latest quarter versus 75.9% in Q3 2020, a net expansion of 170 basis points. Breaking out gross profit, Subscription and support gross profit totaled $84 million, equating to a gross margin of 85% on SNS revenue, an expansion of 30 basis points compared to Q3 2020, primarily driven by high SNS revenue. Professional services gross profit in the third quarter was $3.4 million, up 28% versus Q3 2020. Gross margin was 24.6%, a net expansion of 300 basis points. Research and development expense in Q3 totaled $27.2 million, up 24.9% from Q3 2020 due to headcount investments. R&D expense as a percentage of revenue improved to 24.2% in Q3 2021, 
from 24.7% in Q3 2020. Sales and marketing expense for the quarter increased 27.8% from Q3 2020 to $41.9 million as we make investments in support of our go-to-market strategy. General and administrative expenses totaled $13.3 million in Q3, up $4.7 million compared to Q3 2020. G&A expenses as a percentage of revenue increased to 11.8% from 9.8% in Q3 2020. We posted an operating profit of $5 million in Q3 2021, compared to an operating profit of $3.7 million in Q3 2020. Turning to our balance sheet and cash flow statement, at September 30th, 2021, cash, cash equivalents, and marketable securities totaled $522 million, a decrease of $29.3 million compared to the balance at June 30, 2021. This decrease was driven by the acquisition of OneCloud. Net cash provided from operating activities in Q3 2021 totaled $16.3 million compared with cash provided of $7.9 million in the same quarter a year ago. I'll now go over the impact from our OneCloud acquisition. Our reported results contain the full absorption of our OneCloud transaction, which was closed on July 30th, 2021. As highlighted on our Q2 earnings call, this strategic acquisition added to our platform the capability to connect, harmonize, and control data across multiple disparate source systems. We believe this is a long-term competitive differentiator for us. Please review our financial statements and related footnotes contained in the Q3 2021 10Q for additional information related to the acquisition. Turning to our guidance, we are factoring in the expected impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on our business and results of operations based on information available to us today. For the fourth quarter of 2021, we expect total revenue to range from $116.5 million to $117.5 million. We expect subscription revenue will continue to grow at a faster rate than services revenue in Q4. We expect non-GAAP operating loss to range from $2.8 million to $1.8 million. We are modeling higher travel costs and investments in growth opportunities and hiring through the remainder of 2021. For the full year 2021, we are raising guidance for revenue. We now expect total revenue to range from $439 million to $440 million. We expect non-GAAP operating income to range from $15 million to $16 million. And in 2021, we expect to post positive free cash flow for the fifth consecutive year. Turning to 2022, our current 2022 assumptions are dependent on a variety of factors that are subject to change and that we believe are appropriately conservative for the current environment. We expect to provide formal 2022 guidance on our Q4 2021 call next year. On a preliminary basis, we expect total revenue to exceed $528 million in 2022. We expect the growth rate of subscription and support revenue will continue to outpace the growth rate of professional services revenue. 
we expect non-GAAP operating loss as a percentage of revenue to be in the low single digits for 2022. This conservative guidance for operating margin includes new investments in sales and marketing, geographic expansion, and research and development, as we intend to take advantage of growth in new markets and an expanding TAM. This guidance takes into account the return of expenses that were reduced by COVID, primarily travel costs. I am very proud of our team's continued performance and would like to thank all our employees for their hard work and incredible dedication. We will now take your questions. Operator, we are ready to begin the Q&A session. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question at this time, please press start in the number one key on your touchdown telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. Your first question comes from the line of Matt Stottler from William Blair. Line is open. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking the questions. Um, yeah, great, great to see the positive results here and the initial guidance uh, for 2022 as well. It's been super helpful. Uh, maybe just starting with that, um, you know, we'd love to kind of dive through, uh, obviously, you know, it's, it's a great business model. There's a lot of, you know, kind of positive things going on in terms of demand drivers, but any kind of key factors that you're, uh, you know, kind of looking at when you uh, think about the, the confidence and visibility into that, you know, 528 plus million for next year? Hi, Matt. Thanks for uh, the question. Oh, I'll, Marty, go ahead. Oh, okay. Go ahead, Jill. Go ahead, Jill. All right. So um, we are really positive in, in thinking about how we want to grow going into next year. And we know that uh, we're going to need investment in order to, to get there. But um, we're really um, looking forward to growth within uh, across our solution portfolio. So thinking about all the ones that Marty had talked about earlier in this call and um, and where we think that those lead us is to um, that $528 million in revenue as um, what we're willing to put up as that low end of revenue growth. Uh, and, and we will continue to invest, as we talked about, towards that growth uh, across the board and across all solution areas and across all of our growth drivers. Um, Marty, you were going to Well, I, I would just add that, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're seeing good uh, growth on all our solutions, and like I always say, the portfolio approach gives us a lot of stability, and uh, and we we have pretty good visibility at those at that you know the number that uh, you mentioned the 528. Obviously, our goal is always to do better. You know, that's our history and track record, and we're always going to try to push the envelope and do uh, everything we can. But um, you know, we like to put numbers out there that we're you know that we're very confident in, and. Uh, you know that's the that's the true mark of a management team. You know, know what you know, do what you say, and say what you do. So that's really what's reflected there. Got it. It's very helpful. Um, and then maybe just uh, you know one follow-up here on, on the international expansion. Obviously, it seems like you know, things are you know you mentioned continued uh, not only forward uh, investment and growth there, but you know solid performance currently. I mean, anything you can speak to in terms of uh, you know, kind of I guess the ESEF. Uh, you know, kind of opportunity and progress you're seeing there. Um, you know, you talked about that being maybe a little more, um, you know, kind of back-end loaded in terms of linearity for this year. So are, are you continuing to see that play out? And then uh, international markets outside of ESEP, any demand pool for additional solutions at this point? Well, you know, I, you know I've always said this, that, you know, the enterprise software business is, is, 
you know, you don't see, uh, you know, hockey sticks. Very rarely do you see hockey sticks. And so, you know, ESEP is project is, is, is going just as we expected. We've always talked about how the, the bulk of the ESEP uh, solution providers at day one is going to be bolt-on solutions that are very inexpensive and just go on the very end of the process. And then as time goes on, our platform wins those. That's what happened in the state. So ESEP is a really good market for us. It's not overrepresented now. It's just one of all our portfolio, but it has a really long tail in terms of growth. So that, that business will grow for years now, just like our SEC business. Our SEC business is still growing. So um, it, it's just one of many things that, you know, put, you know, that give us the platform for our growth. And in terms of other things, you know, we're starting to see some, obviously, some ESG movement in Europe. And, um, you know, and we're optimistic about all of our solutions in both uh, EMEA and APAC. Got it, got it. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. Next up, we have Terry Tillman from Troas. Carolina is open. Yeah, hey, Marty, Joe, and Mike. Congrats for me as well. Uh, I had a couple of questions. The first uh, might be a little bit of a multi-parter, so bear with me. On the capital market side, you did call that out. Any more kind of quantification you can provide in terms of, you know, its contribution to new bookings or billings? And then on those transactions, is that recurring or is that more of a, a kind of a one-time thing and then you hope to get them for SEC reporting and other things uh, thereafter? And then add a follow-up. Yeah, I, you know, the – you know, I would say that, you know, cap market, not, you know, not something that just overshined everything else. Um, you know, that there really is a fairly balanced, uh, you know, revenue book. They're all in the same order of magnitude. They're not wildly different. So um, we did see it tick up. Um, we still have less than 10% of the market, which is, uh, which is, uh, you know, gives up. A lot of times we, we've gotten into the company when it's private, and so we're already seeing some revenue stream. Many times that's the, and, you know, that's how it, uh, how we get the business. Other times it's in either event, um, you know, when you say hope, we almost always get them for SEC reporting and, and, and a very high percentage on socks after we do the uh, cap markets work. So the cap markets does create a bump of sorts, but Shortly thereafter, all those other solutions shore it up, and usually, uh, in many instances, we don't even see a, a drop off just based on how many we sell. But so it's complex. It's a it's a really good thing for driving all of our solutions, and so you know for that reason, we're going to continue to grow that market share. We're starting to see for the first time a real uh, a real tipping point where attorneys realize that you know we're in the game and we're a very uh, reliable and, and steady organization to do this. And when we have a law firm uses a couple times, they tend to just keep coming back. So we're, we're very optimistic about it. That's great. Did I get both yeah. your questions, Terry, there? I, I lost you, track. You did. You did. You did, a, you did a nice job on that, and, and, and that was great. Uh, it sounds like, yeah, quite often you can at least be made whole, if not potentially expand with these other built-for-purpose for solutions. So that's great, Marty. Uh, the follow-up question for whoever wants to take it is just on the ESG side. Uh, I'm, I'm curious in terms of is it still a lot of kicking of the tires or are you now seeing kind of broad-based conversion now to beyond kicking tires and they're ready to buy a solution? And then and kind of related to that is, 
is there any parallel with the ESIF market where, you know, maybe there's a stopgap or something or just throwing people at the uh, the, the reporting uh, area? Or is there any parallels with that? Thank you. I'll let Julie take that. She's, she's really in deep with all the solutions. So. Thank you. So we've been out with for about a, a quarter or so now with our ESG solution, and we are absolutely seeing strong momentum. And yes, uh, I think you're probably aware in the 2023 filing year there is a uh, a regulatory requirement to have ESG and ESEP in the same annual report. So um, that lends to to the uh, to, to some of the momentum as well. So we are we are out in the market with the product. We are um, moving strongly and, and absolutely seeing trends and momentum. Thanks, Julie. Thank you. Next up, we have Rob Oliver from Verity Lani's Open Sir. Great. Thanks. Good evening. Thanks for taking my question. Uh, my question for you guys is on the partner uh, side. Um, uh, some really nice uh, deal momentum, Marty, that you alluded to uh, that were partner-driven. It sounds like those initiatives are, are taking hold, and you guys uh, spent some time, I know, profiling that um, at, uh, at Amplify as well. Just curious what you're seeing in those partner deals, any patterns that might be evolving. Are, are they Do they tend to be larger? Do they tend to be more multi-product on the land? Are they part of larger digital transformation initiatives? Just any color you could provide there would be great. And then I just had a quick uh, follow-up as well. Thanks. Julie. Okay, I, I will take that one. Certainly part of our strategy is to expand this uh, partner ecosystem. And the goal, of course, is to sell higher, sell broader, sell more. Um, we want to be everywhere those um, strong advisory partners, our alliances are, um, they are in financial and digital transformation, and certainly our platform uh, is absolutely fit for purpose for those, uh, for those financial and digital transformations. So yes to everything you said, that is absolutely part of the strategy that we have, and we are seeing uh, trends in that direction. Great. Thanks, Julie. And my follow-up is going to be for you, so appreciate that. Just, you know, on the ESG uh, side, a follow-up to, to Terry's question, uh, you know, obviously we've got the mandate uh, in Europe, but it does um, strike me that we are beginning to see some, some thought leaders in the U.S. Uh, start to pursue ESG strategies outside of a mandate. And, and just was curious, uh, given you know, how strong you guys are in North America, you know, kind of just what you're seeing in terms of color. I know we don't expect that market to, to kind of inflect the way your bill being mandate driven, but just curious if you're seeing any activity levels there or ESG attach in U.S. on top of um, the core Workiva platform. Thank you. Sure. And the regulatory is still a ways away, and we are just getting started here with ESG. I mean, we are out in the market, but we're working with partners. We're working with customers to um, refine our solution. We are um, adding some development capabilities on and, and, and making sure the solution that we have is fit for purpose for the market. So, again, we are just getting started, and the market is just getting started around it. But we are seeing our pipeline is strong, uh, and we are seeing um, – Traction here. Companies are looking into ESG not because of regulatory North America necessarily, but not just stakeholders now, uh, shareholders, but you know, 
communities and employees and customers, uh, partners, they're all demanding more transparency and accountability beyond the regulation. So companies are looking to differentiate with their ESG strategies. They're looking to ensure that they are providing their, their not just shareholders, but their stakeholders with the information they want to be more transparent and, and show them what they're doing in the market. So we are seeing momentum pipeline increasing and so forth. But again, this, this is a, a, a long play and we are just getting started in the market. Understood. Okay, would, thanks, Julie. I would, oh, sorry, go ahead, Mark. I would, add, uh, I, I would just add that uh, Julie's point is really well taken. I mean, we're seeing as much activity in North America as we are in Europe. And um, they, you know, it looks so much like the early days for SEC, you know, where you have a close rate that's, you know, pretty healthy. But then everyone we talk to is very interested, and it's it's a it's a, well, not a matter of if; it's generally a matter of when. So, really, uh, it's even though it's very very early days, North American activity is just as strong as EMEA. Thank you guys very much. Look forward to the uh, the analyst day. Appreciate it. Thank you. Next up, we have Tom Roderick from Stefo. Your line is open, sir. Yeah, great. Hi, Marty. Hi, Julie. Hi, Jill. Um, thanks for taking my, my question, Chair. Congratulations on the great results. Uh, the ongoing uh, momentum here looks fantastic. So I'm hearing some great things coming out of international, and I, I know you don't quantify it typically till the end of the year. Uh, maybe we can start with APAC. I mean, uh, Marty, you, you highlighted a handful of logo wins in, in the APAC region. I think you had a very large global financial services win. Talk a little bit about what your go-to-market looks like over there and, and perhaps, you know, what you can say to what the scale of that looks like in APAC or just generally some of the success levels, what's driving that there um, in that part of the world, and then, and then maybe we can get to uh, Europe after that. Well, you know, APAC is by far the most, uh, the newest or most immature market we have. Uh, we have a small team of people there, but they've closed some really nice deals over the last year. And we sort of, you know, roll with the get get some really good uh, uh, anchor accounts, reference accounts in the territory before we invest heavily. And so we've accomplished that. Uh, we've seen a mixture of solutions there. And the go-to-market is very much partner-oriented. Um, even though the numbers are small, they have the highest percentage of partner attachment rate. And... Uh, so it, it's a we you know we have direct sellers we have all the the same types of people there we have in any place in terms of you know solution engineers uh, consultants SAs all that stuff but boy the partners play an outsized role in that and it's it's still early days and as far as I'm concerned that's good news because we got a, a lot of runway left there so you know I'm very I'm very bullish about APAC and I'm happy with uh, everything that's going on there. Wonderful. And then EMEA, you know, I know even going back as far as last year, you were ramping up the headcount in that region pretty aggressively. Uh, I think even, you know, if we go back to this quarter last year, you talked about 25% of your new logo wins, if I remember, were, were, were from the EMEA region. Um, would love to hear just a little bit more of an update. I know ESAF, you, you mentioned, is a little bit more back-end loaded this year. That's understandable. Uh, but, but talk a little bit about what you're doing to build pipeline, uh, to add head counts, are you still being as aggressive in adding new heads? And um, and just, you know, generally, again, on the go-to-market and leadership in that region, how you feel about all those things? Yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I'm real happy with the, 
the growth there we've had in terms of putting a team on the ground and getting things going. You know, anytime you grow fast, there's a learning curve you have to deal with, and every everybody understands that in this business. But in general, we've been able to hire good people. We've seen uh, continued bookings growth. Um, and, you know, the numbers are starting to get uh, to where they're actually material in terms of us achieving our goals, and it's, it's very promising. Uh, we're going to continue to add headcount there. I mean, with ESG coming, with, with ESEF uh, up and running, with uh, financial services, there's tons of financial services there, um, you know, and even, even SEC reporting. So we're going we're gonna to continue to invest there, and we think that, you know, we're gonna, we've, as we said all along, 25 or 30% of our revenues will come from there eventually. Getting that number to grow has been a challenge because North America has been <laughs> legging it out and, and making the denominator bigger all the time, which is a, which is a good thing. But as I look in terms of, you know, just uh, uh, not as a percentage, but as a, you know, absolute numbers, I'm, I'm happy with what's going on in EMEA, especially the uh, ability to um, hire good people, ramp them, and get things going. So, yeah, very, very optimistic. And, again, you know, that's early days. I talk about it a lot. The GDP there is pretty, you know, commensurate with the U.S. GDP. And so, uh, and they're, they're even more regulated you know, than we are, so a lot of opportunity there. And so when I look at our growth opportunities, uh, that's early days too. And for me, that's we have a lot of solutions that are early days, and we have two of the biggest regions on the planet in early days, so just a lot of runway for us. That's excellent. Thank you so much. I'll jump back in the queue. Thank you. Next we have Alex Clark from Raymond James. The line is open. Thanks. Uh, Marty or Julie, I wanted to ask on the existing customer growth, the, the growth of the 100,000 paid customers. Um, it's been really strong again this year. I'm curious how much of it's being driven by new logos coming in above that level from day one versus expansion. And then as, as a follow-up, one of the things we've talked about in the past is you've got 1,000 of those 100K customers, and saying that another way it still means there's 3,000 customers that are basically only taking one of your solutions. So can you just remind us about your strategy around the expansion motion more broadly? Thanks. Sure, I'll let, I'll let Julie take, a, uh, take the first shot at that one. Julie, I think you're on mute. I will take the first question. There, the, the last question on the multi-solution. Um, we we do continue to increase our effort and our focus around account expansion. And while, of course, we started out as an individual or a single solution company, we are now selling more and more multi-solution deals, and we're also selling additional solutions into existing accounts. And Marty talked earlier about the the private to public journey where we can sell multiple solutions to a company going through that. Um, it's our financial, private financial reporting solution, our controls management, and SEC. So we have bundles that we are focused on. So we are putting a lot of attention now to the multi-solution. But you're right, we did, again, start out as that uh, single solution. Yeah, and I would add that, you know, that to, you, to the very first question you had, you know, I. It's roughly, uh, you know, 50-50 uh, new solutions. Uh, you know, it could be 40-60. I didn't look at it, to be honest. But, uh, 
new solutions uh, and, and, and existing solutions that go over that number because of adding solutions. So, you know, just like everything, we tend to be pretty balanced there. And, uh, and it isn't just one solution either. It's all over the board or, or one, you know, one market. So um, it's pretty broad-based, and we're really pleased to see that, you know, that ACV just keeping to keep growing. So. Okay, got it. Very helpful color. Um, and then just following up on the ESG questions from Robin Perry, uh, and I, I do get the, the aspect that we don't have formal rules from the FCC, but could you just help frame the range of kind of deal sizes that you're seeing today? Is it, is it going to be looking something similar to stocks or perhaps kind of larger than that? What, what are you kind of seeing in the market now? Um, you know, we're seeing a it, – it's early days, so it's it's hard to really quantify it. You know, we're seeing – on average, uh, the average deal size is a little bit below our company-wide ACV, but we see big deals that are, you know, well into six figures, and then we see smaller deals for smaller companies. So it, there's a pretty big standard deviation, but I think it's going to, you know, it's going to come out roughly like our ACV for the entire uh, our entire portfolio. So we're we're really happy about that and. Obviously, the number of prospects or the SAM for that market is really healthy because, you know, if, to Julie's point, if consumers are driving the right behavior, if the capital markets are driving the right behavior, uh, then uh, even private companies are going to have to, you know, put their best foot forward. And so we think that the, the beauty of that is it's just a, a lot of entities that are going to be looking to do this across not just you know, for-profit corporations, but the government and nonprofits and everything else is going to have to have a ESG, uh, some type of ESG statement. So, probably also worth yeah. noting that we are taking a a partner approach and partner-first approach um, with ESG. And as we talked about earlier with the transformations, uh, these are you know higher higher up and 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 broader and uh, larger deals. You know, you, okay. the, the thing that, that, that is promising is we, we're starting at a pretty high point, and we'll learn how to get it higher over time as we get better and better at defining our value and adding features of the software to increase value. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's going to be, a, I think, ultimately a little higher than our average ACV, but uh, we're starting a little below it. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next up, we have Andrew DeGasperi from Barron Burke. Line is open. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Um, I guess the first one, in terms of the 2022 guidance, I'm not sure if I caught it, but um, do you include any any uh, capital markets activity or, East, or I guess activity from EMEA in that number? Or is that should we consider that any anything coming out of that would be incremental? Uh, there's very little capital markets activity there currently, so I we, we I don't think we model much there, do we, Jill? We include a, a modest amount of cap markets in in our model generally. Uh, if the as it has been, if the the market is very strong, then we do see upside there related to that business. So, so there would be a modest amount in in, in the 2022 numbers. And you also asked about, is that correct? Yeah, I was just going to say that the, um, you know, we, we, you know, we have not had any focus on doing cap markets, uh, 
business in APAC or EMEA. A couple deals drifted in, but uh, certainly that's something that is not modeled any more than it's traditionally been and something we're looking at for potentially investing. Got it. And then yeah, just follow up on, on that. Um, just in terms of your, I guess, I wouldn't call it legacy, but let's call it flagship uh, solution, your SEC reporting. I mean, you have high market share numbers there. I was just curious to know, like, at what point should we see that business mature? Or do you think you could sustain the level of growth for that product uh, for a longer period of time? Well, I had a diff- I would have had a different answer for you a year ago. <laughs> it's become very fashionable to be public again. I, you know, they've added uh, I think six or seven hundred new public companies in the last year plus, and so that's given a lot of uh, potential to us to uh, to attack those customers. Now, typically, they go with the cap markets provider initially. And so we got some of those, but there's a, a, a large majority of those to chase. So we, we anticipate, you know, good growth in that market for, you know, a couple, three, four years, depending how long this, uh, the whole cap markets and going public stays, uh, stays in vogue. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. Next up, we have Stan Zirowski. Your line is open. You may ask your question. Hi, guys. You have Ben on uh, from Morgan Stanley uh, here for Stanton. Uh To be really helpful for us to just sort of understand, um, how do you guys feel about the balance in terms of the value that you're delivering to your customers um, from your products versus, like, how much you're able to monetize those products across your customer base? Uh, and then I also have a second question uh, following, to, following up to that. Um, you know, that's a, a really – thoughtful question, you know, that's always the name of the game, right? And, uh, you know, our, if I look back historically, our average SEC deal when we started was 25000 and now it's well over three times that. So, you know, as an organization, you learn where the value is, you learn to communicate it, to get, the word gets out on the street, and then you start to learn, you know, just what the value is, then you start price increase programs, and you monitor that carefully, and eventually when you start to see, you know, noise about the price increases or, or actual churn, then you know you're starting to reach that limit. So we've been through that with a couple solutions, and I think we're, we, know, we know how to do that. Obviously, ESEF, I think we have a pretty good handle on what that value proposition is going to be long-term and what we can get for those solutions. Uh, it'll be more than we're getting now, but I think we'll get, you know, you know we'll, we'll run up that same curve. ESG is so early and still trying to define the value. There's so many pieces of value in that process, and we'll probably have partners and not just delivery partners but technical partners through a very complex process. It's hard to say, but we'll definitely watch that and try to optimize what uh, what we monetize. So. Understood. Maybe building upon that a little bit, uh, how are you guys about on the capital markets front? You mean from a value point of view? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, when you're the new kid on the block, you know, you try to use price as a lever, but our price has been steadily going up on that work. And, you know, I, I'm, you know there was a press release from Wilson Sonsini, which is one of the leading IPO law firms, and we're in a partnership with them where they're more or less using our tool as a managed service. And so 
we're seeing uh, as people start to understand the value in that space, we're starting to see, uh, you know, our ability to charge go up and up. It's it's a it's a different model. You know, the financial printers charge you, you know, a certain amount and then they triple it by change orders, and so you have to get the customer acclimated to the fact that they're going to they're going to charge we're going to charge them one amount and it isn't going to triple. So there's all those dynamics, but we're starting to get. Uh, higher and higher deal values. Uh, some of them are, you know, two or three times what we started at. So we're, we're, we're starting to understand that and learn it and, and getting market acceptance, too. That's why we're going to invest. We always wait until we have critical mass in the market before we scale marketing and sales, which, you know, which we're going to do this year on that, in that market. So. Understood. Great. Uh, and just for my second question, uh, in terms of net revenue retention, I know you guys don't guide to it, but as we think about sort of Q4 in 2022, um, how do you see sort of net revenue retention um, as we finish up the year and roll over like the development of it uh, and how we should be thinking about it for our modeling purposes? So we put a lot of focus on retaining existing customers and uh, as we move through uh, our pricing, uh, the our pricing change in 2019, moving to solution-based licensing. And as we put last year, we put our new platform into place across our customer base. Um, we did see some dips there um, on, on both of our retention metrics. But you've seen this year that we've we've had some nice upticks. And, and we do think that the programs that we put in place around making sure that our customers are engaging with the platform and, and getting in there and using the functionality and the ability, as Julia talked about a little bit earlier, around adding on additional solutions and looking at ways to bundle different solutions. Um, the more that we can get customers in and using our platform, we really do feel like it's a it, it's going to be a positive message. Um, we don't have specific guidance around that right now, but we do expect that it will remain strong with with these things that we're that we're putting in place. Thank you, guys, for answering my question. Thank you. Thank you. Next, we have Mike Grondel from Markland's Capital Airlines Open. Hi, this is Mike on for Mike. Thanks for taking the question. Uh, most of my answer would be just briefly on Marketplace. Is there anything to call it there that launching earlier this year? Any traction? Truly. Yes. Uh, we did launch our marketplace in July, so we've been out in the market now with it for just a few months. But we are seeing increased engagement and traffic uh, month over month, and we continue to increase the assets and the content, and uh, it's going well. We're we're pleased with uh, with the results at this point. Great, thanks. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you all for joining. Keep an all disconnect.